Mr. Chief Justice, Senators, President's Council, we reviewed the mountain of evidence that proves the President's officials act in his scheme. The corrupt bargain of a White House meeting in exchange for Ukraine announcing sham political investigations. You heard from each relevant witness with first-hand knowledge of the President's corrupt scheme, Sondland, Taylor, Volcker, Hill, and Vindman, that there was a corrupt deal, an Oval Office meeting for investigations, quid pro quo, this for that. You also saw inescapable documentary proof that clearly proves a corrupt quid pro quo. The evidence is consistent, corroborated. It comes from many, in many forms from many individuals who are lifelong public servants with no motivation to lie. In short, the evidence is overwhelming. Given how much we have gone through, let's review some of those career public servants' testimony who state clearly that they too believed it was a quid pro quo, a this for that. Because it is really powerful to hear directly from them. So let's watch Ambassador Taylor. By mid-July, it was becoming clear to me that the meeting President Zelensky wanted was conditioned on the investigations of Burisma and alleged Ukrainian interference in the 2016 U.S. elections. It was also clear that this condition was driven by the irregular policy channel I had come to understand was guided by Mr. Giuliani. It was clear this were conditions driven by irregular policies. And we know this, too, because Ambassador Sondland said so at the July 10 meeting. Dr. Fiona Hill described the scene in Ambassador Bolton's office where the quid pro quo was made clear. Let's watch. The Ukrainians, uh, Mr. Daniluk, uh, starts to ask about a White House meeting, and Ambassador Bolton was trying to parry this back. Although he's the national security advisor, he's not in charge of scheduling the meeting. We have input recommending the meetings, and this goes through a whole process. So it's not Ambassador Bolton's role to start pulling out the schedule and start saying, right, well, we're going to look and see if this Tuesday and this month is going to work with this. And he does not, as a matter of course, like to discuss the details of these meetings he likes to leave them to you know, the appropriate staff for this. So this was already going to be an uncomfortable issue. And as Ambassador Bolton uh, was trying to move that part of the discussion away, I think he was going to try to deflect it onto another wrap-up topic, Ambassador Sondland leaned in uh, basically to say, well, we have an agreement uh, that there will be a meeting um, if specific um, investigations uh, are put underway. And that's when I saw Ambassador Bolton stiffen. I was sitting behind him in the chair, and I saw him sit back uh, slightly like this. He'd been more moving forward like I am to the table. And for me, that was an unmistakable body language, and it caught my attention. 
and then he looked up to the clock and, you know, at his watch or towards his wrist in any case, um, again, I was sitting behind him and basically said, well, um, you know, it's been really great to see you. I'm afraid I've got another, um, another meeting. Ambassador Bolton stiffened. Quite a description. Lieutenant Colonel Ventman's testimony is consistent with Dr. Hill's recollection of the July 10 meeting. And it was made clear that the deal for the White House meeting was investigations. Let's watch Lieutenant Colonel Ventman. I want to move now to that July 10th meeting that you referenced, Colonel Vindman. What exactly did Ambassador Sondland say when the Ukrainian officials raised the idea of a White House meeting? As I recall, he referred to specific investigations um, that Ukrainians would have to deliver in order to get the, these meetings. Lieutenant Vindman, first-hand knowledge they would have to deliver in order to get these meetings. It was also clear that this wasn't about general investigations about corruption. This was about corruption, it wasn't, wasn't about corruption at all. Ambassador Sondland directed everyone, including the Iranian, Ukrainian officials, to reconvene in the ward room, where he discussed the arrangement he had reached with Mr. Mulvaney in more detail. And he made clear that it was about specific investigations that would benefit President Trump personally. Here's Lieutenant Colonel Vindman testifying where he explains that Ambassador Sondland referred to the Bidens, Burisma, and the 2016 election, which had nothing to do with national security policy. Let's watch. Were the investigations, the specific investigations that Ambassador Sondland referenced in the larger meeting also discussed in the wardroom meeting? They were. And what did Ambassador Sondland say? Ambassador Sondland referred to investigations into the, the Biden's Burisma in 2016. How did you respond, if at all? Um, I, I said that uh, this, this request to, inv uh, to conduct these meetings was inappropriate these investigations was inappropriate and had nothing to do with national security policy. Nothing to do with national security policy. That's about sums it up, doesn't it? It has nothing to do with national security policy. President Trump's scheme was for his personal interest, not national security. And his testimony once again is corroborated. Dr. Hill joined the ward room conversation later and also recalled a discussion of investigations in a White House meeting and that Lieutenant Colonel Vindman said, quote, this is inappropriate. We're the National Security Council. We cannot be involved in this. Here's her testimony. And so when I came in, uh, Gordon Sondland uh, was basically saying, well, look, we have a deal here that there will be a meeting. I have a deal here with, uh, with uh, Chief of Staff Mulvaney. There will be a meeting if the Ukrainians open up or announce these investigations and, uh, into 2016 in Burisma. And I cut it off immediately there. 
because by this point, having heard Mr. Giuliani over and over again on the television and all of the issues uh, that he was um, asserting, by this point, it was clear that Burisma was code for the Bidens because Giuliani was laying it out there. Uh, I could see why Colonel Vindman was alarmed. And he said, this is inappropriate. We're the National Security Council. We can't be involved in this. And what's more, as Ambassador Sondland told us, everyone was in the loop. Meaning it became clear that President Trump was directing this. And Dr. Hill, who at one point confronted Gordon Sondland over this arrangement, further reached the conclusion that he was acting on the president's orders and coordinating with other senior officials. He had made this clear. He was briefing the president on all this. Here's Dr. Hill's testimony. Let's watch. So I was upset with him that he wasn't fully telling us about all of the meetings that he was having. And he said to me, but I'm briefing the president. I'm briefing Chief of Staff Mulvaney. I'm briefing Secretary Pompeo, and I've talked to Ambassador Bolton. Who else do I have to deal with? And the point is we have a robust interagency process uh, that deals with Ukraine. It includes Mr. Holmes. It includes Ambassador Taylor as the charge in Ukraine. It includes a whole load of other people. But it struck me when yesterday, when you put up on the screen Ambassador Sondland's emails, and who was on these emails, and he said, these are the people who need to know that he was absolutely right because he was being involved in a domestic political errand. And we were being involved in national security foreign policy, and those two things had just diverged. So the evidence is very clear. The White House meeting would only be scheduled if Ukraine announced the investigations that everyone, including the Ukrainians, understood to be purely political efforts to benefit the president. The only way to come to a different conclusion is to ignore the evidence. One additional way you can tell that this conduct is truly corrupt and not U.S. foreign policy as usual is that these officials, these lifetime career public servants, didn't just testify about this in impeachment proceedings. They contemporaneously reported this conduct in real time. Their reactions illustrate that this was not the kind of thing that both parties do when they have the White House. This was something different, something corrupt, something insidious, to use Ambassador Sondland's characterization in later testimony. The officials who instinctively recoiled from the corrupt deal that Sunland blurted out were distinguished, patriotic public servants. Let's go through some specific examples of that evidence. After the July 10 meeting we just talked about, where Ambassador Sondland made clear the agreement that the White House meetings were conditioned on the investigations, Dr. Hill consulted with Ambassador Bolton and told him what she had heard. Ambassador Bolton gave her, as she put it, very specific instruction to report this conduct in real time, and she did. Here is her testimony. Let's watch. The specific instruction was that I had to go to the lawyers 
to John Eisenberg, uh, our senior counsel for the National Security Council, uh, to basically say, you tell Eisenberg, Ambassador Bolton told me, that I am not part of uh, this whatever drug deal that Mulvaney and Sondland are cooking up. What did you understand him to mean by the drug deal that Mulvaney and Sondland were cooking up? I took it to mean investigations for a meeting. Did you go speak to the lawyers? I certainly did. Again, investigations for a meeting, the quid pro quo. Consistent with Dr. Hill's recounting, after both the July 10 meeting and the July 25 call, Lieutenant Vindman reported that he had learned, learned to the lawyers. Here he is discussing that later interaction. Let's see it. And you went immediately and you reported it, didn't you? I did. Why? Because that was my duty. Lyndon Vindman said he reported this conduct again because that was his duty. He acted as he did out of a sense of duty. And as a Purple Heart veteran with confidence in America, he would be protected for doing this right thing, even if it angered the President of the United States. His father, who fled the Soviet Union to come to this country, worried about his son fulfilling that duty. Here was Colonel Vindman's message to his father. Let's listen. Dad, my sitting here today in the U.S. Capitol talking to our elected officials is proof that you made the right decision 40 years ago to leave the Soviet Union and come here to the United States of America in search of a better life for our family. Do not worry, I'll be fine for telling the truth. You realize when you came forward out of sense of duty, that you were putting yourself in direct opposition to the most powerful person in the world. Do you realize that, sir? I knew I was assuming a lot of risk. And I'm struck by that word, don't worry, that phrase, do not worry, you addressed to your dad. Was your dad a warrior? Uh, he did serve. It was a different military, though. And he would have worried if you were putting yourself up against the President of the United States. Is that right? He deeply worried about it because in his context, there was there was the ultimate risk. And why do you have confidence that you can do that and Be tell your dad not to worry? Congressman, because this is America. This is the country I've served and defended, uh, that all of my brothers have served, and here, right matters. Thank you, sir. Yield back. Imagine he had to tell his father, do not worry. I'll be fine for telling the truth. It was his duty because in America, right matters. President Trump has suggested that all of the witnesses are never Trumpers. That couldn't be further from the truth. As we just saw, this U.S. officials are brave public servants. It is wrong, just flat wrong, to suggest they were doing anything other than testifying out of a sense of duty, as Lieutenant Colonel Vindman testified. But it wasn't just U.S. officials whose reactions show us 
that this was wrong. It is also clear how corrupt this scheme was because Ukraine resisted it. President Zelensky was elected as a reformer. His first few months in office, he lived up to this promise. Here is Ambassador Taylor testifying on this point. Let's see it. Once I arrived in Kyiv, I discovered a weird combination of encouraging, confusing, and ultimately alarming circumstances. First, the encouraging. President Zelensky was reforming Ukraine in a hurry. He appointed reformist ministers and supported long-stalled anti-corruption legislation. He took quick executive action, including opening Ukraine's high anti-corruption court. With a new parliamentary majority stemming from snap elections, President Zelensky changed the Ukrainian constitution to remove absolute immunity from RADA deputies, the source of raw corruption for two decades. The excitement in Kyiv was palpable. This time could be different, a new Ukraine finally breaking from its corrupt post-Soviet past. So we know that President Zelensky was a reformer, fighting corruption, fighting for reform, and he got started early as soon as he was sworn in. We know that President Zelensky's agenda was in our U U.S. national interest. In fact, every witness testified that President Zelensky deserved America's support and that they told President Trump that. So keeping that in mind, it is extremely telling what President Zelensky and his aides were saying behind closed doors. They were concerned about being dragged into President Trump's scheme. They recognized the political peril of going along with the president's corrupt scheme. We know that, that from the case for many reasons. But let's look at some of the evidence showing that now. First, the Ukrainians made their concerns clear directly to U.S. officials. On July 20, just days ahead of the July 25 call, Ambassador Taylor spoke with President Zelensky's national security advisor. He then conveyed to Ambassador Sondland and Volker that the Ukrainian leader, quote, did not want to be used as a pawn in a U.S. re-election campaign. Here's Ambassador Taylor explaining what he understood that to mean. Let's watch. What did you understand it to mean when that Zelensky had concerns about being an instrument in Washington domestic re-election politics? Mr. Daniluk understood uh, that these investigations um, were pursuant to uh, Mr. Giuliani's request to develop information, to find information uh, about Burisma and the Bidens. This was very well known uh, in public. Um, Mr. Giuliani had made this point clear in several uh, instances in the beginning, in, in the, in the uh, springtime. Um, and Mr. Donaluk was aware that that was a problem. And would you agree that because President Zelensky is worried about this, they understood at least that there was some pressure for them to pursue these investigations? Is that fair? 
Mr. Donnerlook indicated um, that President Zelensky certainly understood it, that he did not want to get involved in uh, these type of activities. As the slide shows, on July 21, Ambassador Taylor relayed the same message to Ambassadors Volker and Sunland, making clear, quote, President Zelensky is sensitive about Ukraine being taken seriously, not merely as an instrument in Washington domestic politics. But Ambassador Sondland did not back down. Instead, Ambassador Sondland reinforced the importance that President Zelensky reassure President Trump of his commitment to the investigations. He said, quote, absolutely, but we need to get the conversation started and the relationship built, irrespective of the pretext. I am worried about the alternative. The pretext that Ambassador Sondland referred to was President Trump's requirement that Ukraine announce investigations that would benefit him personally and politically. He wanted help in cheating. And it wasn't just Ambassador Taylor. Deputy Assistant Secretary George Kent, too, testified that Ukraine was, quote, very uncomfortable. When the issue of investigations was raised during the negotiations of the statement in August of 2019, as the slide shows, Mr. Kent said, quote, I had a conversation with Sergei Taylor in which he indicated that Special Representative Volker had been engaging with Andrew Yermak, that the president and his private attorney, Rudy Giuliani, were interested in the initiation of investigations, and that Yermak was very uncomfortable when this was raised with him and suggested that if that were the case, if that were really the position of the United States, it should be done officially and put in writing. And I told Bill Taylor, that's wrong. And we shouldn't be doing that as a matter of US policy. And when asked, what did he say? Mr. Kent said, quote, he said he agreed with me. Now, what's also important to note is this, why? Ukraine made this clear. If the U.S. was asking them for investigations, especially investigations that made them uncomfortable, they should be done officially and put in writing. Mr. Kent's testimony shows that. He said, quote, Yermak was very uncomfortable when this was raised with him and suggested if that were the case, if that were really the position of the United States, it should be done officially and put in writing. And this wasn't the only time. On August 13, Mr. Yermak asked Ambassador Volker, quote, whether any request had ever been made by the United States to investigate election interference in 2016. Now this makes sense. Normally, if something is actually about official U.S. policy, the president would go through official U.S. channels. But as we've seen here, he didn't. 
His personal attorney made this. This was, wasn't about foreign policy. It was something that would benefit President Trump personally. The administration officials made this clear too. There were undisputed testimony that the investigations were not part of U.S. policy. In fact, they diverged with the U.S. national security and our nation's values. And the Department of Justice had, has made this crystal clear in public statements. They have never, never been, been asked officially to, to do any of these investigations. And that's how we know this is so very wrong. Even Ukraine, a struggling new country, knew this was wrong. And they stood up to President Trump and said so. Yermak, and remember he was Solinsky's chief um, aide, was basically saying, you want an investigation? Please send us a formal request from DOJ. Show us you're willing to stand behind the legitimacy of what you're asking. But Ambassador Volker was unable to provide that information. And that's why, even though the White House meeting was so critical to Ukraine, even though Ukraine needed it so, so desperately, they still wouldn't make the statement with the key additions, President Trump's political investigations, which were solely to keep help his reelection and had nothing to do with foreign policy. President Zelensky tried different ways to resist the pressure of becoming a pawn in U.S. politics. Even though the Oval Office meeting was important, Zelensky repeatedly tried to find a way around committing to the investigations that President Trump demanded, or at the very least, schedule it before taking any official action. This is what you saw in the negotiation over the statement in August. And this is why even President Trump's second official act, withholding the White House meeting, was not enough to make Ukraine do his dirty work. Senators, we're coming to the end of this section of the presentation regarding the withholding of the White House meeting. So I want to just quickly remind us one last time about the central points that we have covered. President Trump exercised his official power when he withheld an Oval Office meeting that was critical to Ukraine. And he did this for only one reason and one reason only. President Trump conditioned that Oval Office meeting on Ukraine, announcing investigations that would help him politically. This had nothing to do with official U.S. policy. President Trump directed U.S. officials were supposed to work for the American people, to work instead with his personal agent, Rudy Giuliani, and focus only on his personal political interests. Acting on behalf of the president and with the president's full knowledge, Mr. Giuliani worked with those U.S. officials to carry out the president's scheme. 
They pressured the Ukrainian government to ask as a personal opposition research firm for President Trump. They tried to use a foreign government to dig up dirt on his client's rival, former Vice President Biden, an American citizen, and so President Trump could win his election. And they made clear that Ukraine would not get the official U.S. government support that it so desperately needed. Support that the President's national security team conveyed was necessary to advance our own national security objectives unless President Zelensky announced the sham investigations. Remember that an abuse of power occurs when the President corruptly exercises official power to obtain a personal benefit in a way that ignores or injures the national interest. Senators, that is exactly what happened here. By withholding a White House meeting, President Trump used official power to corruptly pressure Ukraine. Indeed, the entire quid pro quo, the this for that, the entire campaign to use the Oval Office meeting as some kind of asset for the President's reelection campaign was corrupt. Officials knew this. Ukrainians knew this too. And I think deep down, we all know it. And I think the American people know it. Senators, I ask you this one question. Is that not an abuse of power? Was it okay? If it's not an abuse of power, then what is? Is it okay to withhold official acts from a foreign country until that foreign country assists your reelection effort? If any other public official did that, he or she would be held accountable. I know that if one of us did that, we would be held accountable. The only way to hold this president accountable is right here in this trial. Otherwise, you would be telling Ukraine and the world that it's okay for the president to use our Oval Office and this country's prestige and power for himself instead of for the American people. If we allow this gross abuse of power to continue, this president would have free reign, free reign to abuse his control of U.S. foreign policy for personal interests. And so would any other future president. And then this president and all presidents become above the law. A president could take the powers of the greatest office in this land and use those powers not for the country, not for the American people, but for him or herself. I ask you to make sure this does not happen because in this country, no one, no one is above the law. Nadien se está encima de la ley. Now I yield to Ms. Demings.
The majority leader is recognized. <clears throat> Mr. Justice, the House managers have requested a five-minute break. So ordered. Senate is in recess.